Hello and welcome to this, the 15th episode of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, Angus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and producer here at Rise. I'm a 15-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And as ever, we are bringing you this podcast absolutely free of charge. We promise that we'll never, ever charge for these interviews. But the whole point of this podcast is to support, promote and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre. So while we're not looking for you to put money into our pockets, we're asking you to go and put your money into Irish theatre. Go out there and support Irish theatre. Buy tickets. Don't be hanging around waiting for your friends to give you comps or go and ask it's a bit expensive and we can't go out. Make this be the week where you go out and buy yourself some theatre tickets. Treat yourself to a night out. Bring a friend. Have a great time. It'll all be great. So obviously that's the way you can help uh, by putting your hand in your pocket. But of course there are ways that you can help without having to put your hand in your pocket. You can help spread the word about this podcast. We're spreading the word about Irish theatre. It all goes around in a wonderful big circle and everybody wins. How can you help support the podcast? Tell people about it in person over a cup of coffee or share the link on Facebook or Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes and go back and listen back to all our other episodes that we have there. You can also stream it live from fightnight.ie, the Fight Night website. That's handy if you're out and about on your iPhone and you don't want to be downloading stuff. Uh, and also it's available over at radiomade.ie. Um, you can leave us a review over on iTunes. We'd really appreciate that. It helps us in the charts. Uh, or you can simply click to rate us. They have a five-star rating system over there. One click, that's all we ask. You can follow us Rise Productions on Facebook we're facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland or you can follow us on Twitter we're at Rise Ireland so that brings us to this week's guest who is a good friend of mine for the last good few years actually and an all round super guy and a really really talented performer but possibly a guy who doesn't have necessarily the same profile of a Rory Nolan or a you know, Keen O'Brien. And it's the brilliant Keith Hanna. Keith is a superstar, really great performer, wonderful singer, wonderful dancer, wonderful actor. I had the great privilege of working with him uh, a couple of times uh, back with Second Age. And also when uh, the first time I got a chance to employ anyone other than myself with Rise Productions, instantly Keith was the guy I called to. He came on board for our Tear Down the Walls project with Project Brand New as part of the Dublin Theatre Festival last year, um, which we made this kind of audiovisual installation complete with live performers uh, there interacting with the audience as well and Keith did an absolutely super job in kind of two companion pieces that we put together for that Tear Down the Walls project he's a brilliant guy he's a guy as like I said that maybe not everybody knows as well as some other actors but hopefully now this uh, this next little interview will give you a chance to get an insight into who Keith Hanna really is and uh, with the way this Alice in Thunderland show which he's going to be part of at the Abbey is going to explode over the next couple of weeks and months I think you're going to hear an awful lot about this guy ladies and gentlemen here's your introduction to the brilliant Keith Hanna. The wonderful Keith Hanna. Thank you so much for coming to have a chat us. <laughs> Hello, how are you doing? Right. Before we start off with the usual where did it all begin question. Okay. I'm doing something to you that everyone does to me and I'm sick of it being done to me so I'm going to do it to you. Okay. Uh, as I said in the intro to this interview, you're a guy who's been plugging away for a couple of years but maybe aren't as high profile as a Rory Nolan or, or someone else. Sure. But... Well, they may not necessarily know the name, they definitely know the voice. Because whereas <laughs> I am the voice of RT1, you're the voice of RT2. I'm not letting you get away here until I have a... I, I need an RT2 quote. Got to do it. Um, okay, what have we got? Something about... Uh, okay, let's try this one. The Big Big Movie, Saturday at 7 on RT2. <laughs> How's that? Well, it just feels like such a nerd thing to do, but I absolutely had to do it because I'm sick of people doing it to me. I might get a few more voiceovers from that. Absolutely, man. This is great. This is a demo reel. Sweet. 
Take us back to the very beginning, Keith, though. We do this every week. Okay. Uh, was there ever a light bulb moment for you when you decided, right, I want to be uh, an actor, or did you just kind of find yourself sliding into it? Um, yeah. Um, did I have a light bulb moment? I don't know if I had one particular moment, but uh, when I was a kid, um, I was kind of just obsessed with like uh, music and and kind of dancing and stuff and singing and uh, kind of... I don't know, playing characters or whatever. Probably the same thing everybody else says. But so I think my mom uh, put me in a stage school, um, which is the Billy Barry Stage School. Right, okay. Um, which, you know, you don't really hear a lot of actors per se kind of mention if they've been there. And quite a few probably did go there, a few Dublin people, or even went for a while and then left. But um, that was kind of where I started and continued to... I mean, I stayed there for a long, long time. I went there when I was five and uh, we learned not just to people think Billy Barry dancing, singing. We learned how to be a part of the working world of theatre. And that's what like Miss Billy Barry used to say to us. And then her younger, her daughter, uh, Lorraine, who, used to, who was my main teacher, really, um, used to kind of instill in us. So, I mean, I was like 12 years old when I did my first professional show. Yeah. Before that, I'd been on the Late Late Show numerous times. I'd been on the Late Fashion Awards. I'd been doing gigs on RTE, all these things. So that just doesn't, you know, that stays with you. There's no way that that kind of just, you go, oh yeah, I did that. And for some people when they're young, they do it and they say, oh, I did that when I was a kid and now it's time to get real and go to college and have a proper life. Um, and for others, I suppose, it stays with you. So that stayed with me. Um, I did that show, I think it was The King and I in 1995. Um, and... I, you know, I just remember when I'd go to see these type of shows when I wasn't in, let's say, like the Panto at Christmas or something like that, I'd look at these people on stage and I'd say, yeah, like, I want to be up there. But I, I had this thing about, because I was dancing and singing, there wasn't a lot of guys who were dancing and singing, especially when I got to about 15, 16. I was playing a little bit of football, uh, not much, like not any, you know, people are going to be like, he's shit at football. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was playing a bit of football up in Artane, like for Artane Bowman FC. And uh, I realized that like, I was not really a good footballer and I was actually an all right dancer and I could probably make money if I decided to dance in shows. So that was a sad day. When I had a sad day for Artane Bowman? <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. Uh, so... When I was, I think it was about 16, I went into my first professional show as an adult, as a yes. dancer in pantomime in the Olympia with Twink. Um, but from the get-go, I remember of that, I was so hungry for, you know, any bits of dialogue that were going. Or any, like, and I used to look at the actors with a different kind of, you know, I looked at them in awe. And I loved dancing and singing and I enjoyed doing all that. But I just thought being out there with, a, you know, uh, with 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 a part and being able to say lines and being able to get inside a character and you know bring that out like it was so much more some people talk about dancers who love dance talk about how music takes them over when they dance and I feel you know I love doing it but I didn't have that feeling I had that when it came to, to acting you know and did you ever feel that there was a, a distinction between the actors in inverted commas and the dancers or like was there was there a, a different vibe between people were you two separate groups or did everyone get on like a house on fire yeah mo no most definitely there's i mean people got on well in shows but there's definitely a divide and there's definitely um dancers are have always been at the the bottom of the pile and i know actors like to give out everybody likes to give out about we're not being treated well enough but dancers don't get the respect that they deserve they don't get paid enough money they work 10 times harder than most people um you know they just kind of like 
sweat all day long they kill themselves they're in before everyone they're warming up they're on the floor i mean we'd come in to warm up for panto and we'd be on the floor this freezing cold floor um and uh i'd look over and like one of the actors would walk in with a script in hand and his cappuccino like looking real cozy and i'd be like why am i not over there with them you know but uh yeah i don't think they get the the kind of props that they deserve because they work so hard you know so when you look back on your time in Billy Barry, and like you say, you were there for a long time. Many years were there in total. I was there when I was five till like nearly nineteen or twenty. Right. Okay. Um, and then I was asked to come back and guest on one of the shows that they do in the Gaieties, which was sure. a brilliant thing for me to come back and as uh, and and guest in my own right, you know. So. But that was now, cool. as as a fully fledged professional actor and occasionally singer and dancer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look back on that time with Billy Barry, do you think that was great and a really useful training, or do you go, Jesus? Because occasionally you hear horror stories about how you know they're in the business of churning out child stars and not necessarily yeah. fully rounded performers. Do you did you ever have to unlearn anything you picked up there, or was it just a nice solid foundation in going into the business? No, I think that's the best way to put it. It's just really solid foundation for me going forward. I mean, people can have, will have bad experiences everywhere. So I'm sure there's a few people that didn't have the best time in the world there. But for me, it was about, I mean, and this is the same in the business. It's about just sticking with it, you know? And once I got to a chance to a time where I realized I actually wasn't that bad, you know, I was okay. And, and, you know, the love for it was there already. But when I realized I actually kind of had a bit of talent, I suppose I was like, Oh God, you know, like, uh, maybe I could I could keep doing this for a while. And then by the time I got to finish in school, I considered going to drama school because I'd already decided I wanted to be an actor sure. more than anything else. And I felt that just coming off dance shows where I was dancing and singing um, might not be enough to get seen by certain, like in places where I want really wanted to work. Um, so I did, I, you know, it, it's different in, in that way. And for you, when you were coming to the end of that time of Billy Barry's, you were, like, you were touring around the world with shows and stuff as well, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, I fin- I did Panto in the Ga- in the Olympia, then the Gaiety, um, and then I went into uh, Jury's Cabaret, which was the longest running cabaret in Ireland, which was like with these guys, uh, Tony Kenny was like the lead singer and all these Irish trad musicians that you'd probably know. And uh, I went into that um, at about, I think, 17 or 18. And that was like a six-month run six nights a week and it was incredible and it was amazing so we i did my first season there finished up i was in sixth year i went and did panto christmas even though i said i wouldn't do another show or i wouldn't do a show in my leaving third year but i did said no to a tour which i still regret because i said i'd take panto instead of going to america um but i probably should have done both anyway but uh so um I did my leave insert and then had about two weeks off and I got a call from somebody in juries, the producer just saying that somebody wasn't available for the rest of the run, that they want to come in and it was another four months and that there was going to be a tour as well after that. Um, so I went back into that and then the following spring I went to America for like two months. Wow. And we, we played everywhere. We played from uh, New York to Boston to Florida to Las Vegas. Um, so it was incredible and all that stuff, I mean, even though I wasn't, I wasn't technically an actor then, I suppose. Maybe I was in my heart. But uh, that that stands to you, you know? Yeah. Being up in front of that amount of people, that experience, um, just, you know, I, the way I looked at it, and somebody said, um, Aidan Kelly actually said this to me. Um, I'm dropping names now. Bang, uh, but, uh, no, Aidan said to me, and I was doing Macbeth with, with Aidan, and uh, I remember he was going, you know what, I look, you know, it was, uh, 
I think you've been in the business longer than anyone else in this show, bar John Olahan. <laughs> and I was like, what are you saying? He goes, well, you know, you started in Billy Barrys and you were five years old and now you're about 24, you know, just whatever, two years ago. He's like, and you're still going. He's like, that's about 20 years now. Jesus, you're doing great. Like, you've been going at it longer than I have. So, and I, you know, in a way, it's true because I had, like, I had been doing it since I was a kid, yeah. you know. But also, presumably being on tour with, you know, the likes of the Tony Kennys of the world, like, good solid pros who've been around and know the business inside and out from the you know shiniest most glamorous end of it yeah. to you know working old rural <laughs> Irish dance halls and stuff. I mean obviously I come from a light end background as well with my dad and whatever else so I understand that kind of work ethic that goes into it and the professionalism that's in in that end of it so presumably that is as useful as well just getting that kind of work ethic yeah like most definitely like all every single gig I've done whether I felt it was a good or bad gig stood to me and we did play like tiny little small shithole venues <laughs> in the back of the nowhere where Tony Kenny had a small following or it was the you know the the local Irish supporters society or whatever it was and you know they'd welcome us in with like boxes of lion's tea and tato crisps and we'd play in what was no not much bigger than a school hall and yeah. we'd transfer this show from a, a 5,000 seater into this hall the next day <laughs> and we'd do it and we'd happily do it because yeah. you know it's all experience really you know so Talk to me then about trying to make that transition from being seen as, in inverted commas, only a, a dancer yeah. and a singer into being a real-life professional actor. Yeah. What was that transition like? Well, that was, I found that tough. And, um, I, you know, I, I didn't do the drama school thing. Um, and I felt there was times I felt like that had really gone against me. And I felt that uh, people didn't know who I was. Uh, and they would never know who I was. Um, and I really wanted to... I really wanted to kind of make this change, but then obviously I, I can't just sit at home and then go, right, now I'm an actor, so um, people, can you see me as an actor? But people didn't really know who I was. Um, so how it really happened was I was in Panto again in the Gaiety, um, and I was working with um, a good friend of mine, Alan Smith. Um, the who, wonderful Alan yeah, Smith is now out in LA. You know, ripping it up over there, <laughs> living the Hollywood life. I don't hear from him as much as I used to, you know, but... Uh, it's a sad time. No, he's, I do actually hear from him. He's, he's doing great, and I'm really happy and proud of him. So, um, But he himself and another good friend of mine, David O'Mara, who I'm sure everybody will know, yes, another indeed. fantastic actor. Um, those two guys, re like, and I can't really stress this enough, really took me under their wing. I was like a dancer in a show, and I was understudying maybe like whatever Alan's part was as yeah. Aladdin or... Um, the prince or whatever and they just took a shine to me and I, I just kept saying how I wanted to act and how I was reading plays and I was I was trying to find monologues and I was trying to like get you know I was trying to get auditions here and there and everywhere and uh, what ha had happened was a, a, another old friend of mine Adam Lawler who I worked with um, he's been in the business for years he used to work in the Abbey who a lot of people might know Adam he was a box office manager in there yeah. and he had, had told me about general auditions coming up in the Abbey so I actually sent my stuff in and managed to get a general audition with I think it was Marie Kelly at the yeah. time and Wayne Jordan who was I think a, a assistant directing at the time that'd be right and I went in and I did a speech and uh, I had done really no like acting at the time and I was surprised to even get like the call in yeah. and it went really well and even like Marie Kelly kept in contact with me and I think she had said that it went very well but she'd like me to kind of try and get more experience and stuff but you know com coming in there quite young it was it was it was great that they gave me that opportunity to come in and kept in contact with me which was nice um but with Alan and Dave they Alan I remember he helped me pick out speeches and he had me over to his house and he was like you know let's go through the speeches and um, he gave me the Shakespeare piece and I'd, I'd 
being 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 big into Shakespeare, but in school they they almost zap that out of you the way that they they teach. And um, I used to try and read it on my own um, and figure it out on my own uh, outside of school. And it wasn't really until I saw a production at Second Age did in the Gaiety when I was in fifth or sixth year of King Lear or something, and. Uh, I looked at him and like, it makes sense to me now because I can see like actors like representing these people and then they're telling the story and he, I was like okay it makes sense to me now like what have we been doing in the classroom the whole yeah. time talking and, and not making any sense of it so uh, Alan had gone through these speeches with me and uh, this was uh, coming up to that edition of the Abbey and he had told me he was working with Second Age quite a lot and he said look I'll put in a, a good word for you with um Alan Stanford, who we you know is the artistic director of Second Age, and um, I was like, okay, and I was like really trying to get excited and trying, okay, how do I follow it up? And I remember like printing CVs, pictures, like you know, spending money I didn't really have. And I know like people say they go and do it, but I actually like was going crazy, like fifty headshots, fifty CVs, fifty cover letters, walking around town like with the Irish Theatre handbook, like finding out addresses of companies and like asking to see people, like you know people that I I was a bit too cheeky almost you know I was walking and going can I speak to you know the artist director or I want to hand this in to the casting director here or I'd, and I'd follow it up with a phone call and I must have sent all these emails and fair enough a lot of people didn't get back to me but a lot of companies did and I was really surprised and they were like oh you've got a really diverse CV you've got a lot of dance and stuff and you know keep in touch with us and if you've yeah. got something on we'll come see you so I was kind of surprised that companies were actually open to, to do that you know um, and I was I remember they had, uh, Alan had said this, I had done another cabaret show or something in the Red Cow, I think, and I was kind of doing a bit more singing and, and kind of musical style stuff, but still not really getting uh, to, to act like I wanted yeah. to. And uh, Alan Smith had told me he had put my stuff forward to Alan Stanford, and out of nowhere, I got a phone call um, from the producer saying that Alan Stanford would like to see me for, for King Lear. So I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is the moment. Uh, this is when it all changes, you know? So I went and worked on the, the speech from Henry V and um, met him in his office. Yeah. And, you know, Alan is a big presence and it was quite <laughs> uh, daunting for me to walk into his office and just be like, hello, I'm Keith, that guy that used to dance and sing. Can I have a part in your show? Um, and he was so, like, I couldn't believe how nice he was. And the first thing he said to me was that I, he said, you come very highly recommended from Alan Smith and Dave O'Mara. And I can't tell you how far that goes in my book. Wow. Um, and, you know, I was like, okay. So he said, look, um, can we got a speech? And so I went through it and uh, did the speech. And at the end, he, he asked me to kind of just say it straight to him into his eye. Like just, so I spent the whole time, and I know some people don't like you looking directly at them when you're, you know, you're auditioning or whatever, but I just kind of stared him out of it. And uh, I finished and he didn't say anything for about 10 seconds. And, uh, you know, I was, which presumably to you felt like eight and a half honestly, minutes. Yeah, I was. It was about three months long. I was sitting there dying, like. But uh, and then he just went. Uh, he goes, that was that was fantastic. That was brilliant, and uh, I really like. And he went on this rant, and he went, "It's great to see somebody you know young and coming out from a different background, and and uh, and and uh, not necessarily come to a drama school, but 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 
you know has a good handle on Shakespeare and wants to learn and, and he's going on and on and I'm just like thinking like, what's he going to say next and he just and out of nowhere he goes uh, you know I have a part for you in the play you're going to be in the play by the way and then he went on talking again and inside I was just like in, come on like yeah. so you got the gig in the room yeah, in the room yeah yeah. Wow. yeah I've never got the gig in the room I know well come on I can't believe that now it's two stories <laughs> that's amazing yeah so and that was great so that, I had that coming up and and um, I, I was just I was so I was over the moon I mean I rang my mom and I think she was crying she tends to do that though when I get jobs um, but uh, yeah and I felt like that couldn't be the start of it all and it was the start but there was a lot more hard work to come from that. Like getting that show was great, um, and I might talk a bit more about second age and stuff maybe in a, in a bit. But it, you know, even though I got work with them and and became, I was uh, seen by a wider variety of people. The people I wanted to be seeing yeah. me, I still found it quite hard for a long time um, to to really kind of establish me, myself. I'm still trying, yeah. um, and it. I suppose you just got to keep going. Is is the best the best thing I think. Talk to me a bit about your time with Second Age because you did quite a few tours with them, didn't you? Yeah, I think I did. I mean, that's where we first met. Yeah, um, I think I did three or four show, four shows right. um, in a row as well. So that was every year. So you kind of become almost like a, a regular um, as, as it was, as it were. Really? Um, did you do four back-to-back? I think I did four, yeah. I did um, King Lear, which yeah. is my first one in the SFX, which isn't even there, with... Um, where Alan Stanford was playing Lear wow. um, and this is where I met Rory Nolan for the first time and another guy who was incredibly good to me and so positive with me and nothing before. I mean he I think Rory was out of drama school a couple of years um, but was starting to kind of you know, take the world by storm yeah. um, but uh, he, you know just really positive and really like uh, always up for a laugh and always kind of encouraging me to to, to do better and get better and um, Alan Smith was in it as well and David O'Mara so I was getting to work with the two guys that I'd, I'd helped they'd helped get me there yeah. um, which was fantastic um, so I did King Lear and then I got an agent through that which was fantastic um, and I felt like I'm, I'm on I'm on the way now you know it's all gonna kick off and uh, obviously there's stuff in between but the following year I think I did Macbeth with me uh, with the fantastically talented Angus Og McNally <laughs> uh, and another person who I met and who was just amazing and and I I kind of knew who you were before I met you but it was just great and you were just so nice and we got we got on like brothers I we suppose did, you know? we got on like a house on fire you know um, and and another like host of amazingly talented actors so and the following year i did othello with them and the following year i did macbeth again for a second time and each one of them was a tour except for the first one king lear which was yeah. just in the sfx so yeah so four shows three of them which toured around ireland which was fantastic yeah how grueling is the second age schedule particularly when you're on the road um yeah crazy like uh, the only thing is you get the weekends off and from doing other shows like panto um you know, you go, oh my God, that's insane when you just do four shows in, in two days. But uh, yeah, you do matinee every day, Monday to Friday, and then you do evening shows Monday. Uh, I mean, it's probably changed now, I don't know. Uh, you do evening shows like um, three nights out of, yeah. the, out of those. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's different now, but that's the way it was. So actually, it wasn't, I mean, it was Shakespeare, so it wasn't that easy to do two a day. Um, you know, especially the Thursdays and Fridays, you had two and then two the next day. But when you do a matinee and then you have the rest of the day off, it's fantastic. Um, so, and you know, I was working, so I didn't really, I didn't really mind. I didn't, I never, and at the time I was probably kind of partying a bit as well, probably a lot more than I should have, but like, 
I was kind of just enjoying the whole process of being on tour and, you know, well, we're on tour, so we might as well go out and have a few drinks and have a laugh and meeting people and getting to know people. Um, so, yeah, it, it was tough, but like not as tough as, as, as let's say, a panto schedule. Well, because I mean, I know we can talk about this a bit later on, yeah. but certainly on the, on the latest run of panto, like you can sometimes be doing like 14 days straight of two shows a yeah, day. Yeah, kind of it's insane. Like stuff. I forgot how hard it actually was. Um, and again, I did it when I was dancing and probably a lot more physical when I was just purely dancing in it and I don't really know how I did it but we we would do there was a run especially it's like the, the, the dreaded run up to Christmas the yeah. Christmas you have Christmas Eve and Christmas Day off um, and there you, those two days just cannot come like quick enough because somewhere in December you get your first Monday off and then you go in and you literally do two if not two and a half weeks of two shows a day every day before you get to Christmas Eve and it's a killer yeah it's insane but like you must not even know what day it is anymore no I mean I didn't know who I was by the time I finished Panto like when I finished recently I was all over the place like I need I really need, was like what's happening like you know so but uh but it's you know it's work and it's money and it's um, you're out there and you're performing every day and you know there's a lot of people going to jobs they really hate and there's a lot of people that don't have any jobs to go to so happy to be there you know this is very true so Things were kicking off you, like you said, you'd landed the agent, you're getting this high-profile work, working on great stuff, big Shakespearean pieces um, with a great company like Second Age. Uh, so other things started to trickle through, a good bit of TV stuff. I know at one stage, were you playing Colin Farrell in some kind uh, of Yeah, <laughs> well, it's hard to believe looking at me now. But uh, no, I mean, I could play Colin Farrell, it's still good now. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I got this call about this thing through my agent, Lorraine, uh, Lorraine Brennan, she was great. And uh, I went in... Uh, to read for this comedy it was a new comedy show by the people that had done The Blizzard of Odd and uh, this was called The Unbelievable Truth and maybe a lot of people don't know what it is because uh, it was out there and then I think they just it it wasn't what they wanted to be or didn't do as well as they wanted to be so they just kind of scrapped it and and I think Colin Murphy was presented like and I was moved on to bigger and better things anyway Uh, but uh, it was a follow up to The Blizzard of Odd I got the sides in. They were a bit weird. Um, there was like they were. They, they said they were looking for lookalikes of celebrities. And then when I met them, they said we're not really looking for complete lookalikes, but you know we, we want people to look like people. We looked at your headshot. We thought you looked like Colin Farrell. I was like, thanks very much. Um, and then they were trying. We were reading these pieces, but you know they weren't. I didn't feel I was doing them well enough. They were looking at me really weird. Um, we've all had these moments. I didn't really think it was that funny what I was reading. They weren't getting anywhere near what they wanted from me. And uh, we were doing this a couple of times. And did a, there was a Ronan Keating one and a Colin Farrell one. And uh, I actually stopped. I've never done this. And I stopped. Um, maybe done it one, one at a time. But I, I, did it, I did it this time. And I said, look, I'm really sorry. But I really don't feel like I'm giving you what you want here. Um, and I'm just like, is there anything else I can do here? Because they were just looking at me like, you know, that's a ballsy move, though. To quote Bill Hicks, like a dog had just been shown a card trick. You know, <laughs> they were just looking at me like, uh, and they were, you know, kind of squirming in their seats and going, and they were like two really nice, the, 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 the director and producer, and they were so nice, but they were just were like, um, it's not really, and I said, look, do you mind, do you mind if we just go a bit mad? And uh, she goes, what do you mean? I went, well, look, I'll just do a few characters or something. And 
they were like, what? Uh, okay, yeah. So I just started doing all these mad voices and accents and like, it was, it was a bit weird. I mean, I hope no one ever sees the video of what I did, but I ended up like leaving the room and coming back in in one of the bits. I, I got up and I was doing this big speech. I don't know, I was doing some mad like crazy camp like hairdresser from Brazil and I was on this mad like what are you talking about man and I got this mad I got up and I was running around and they were laughing so hard that I was like okay they're obviously enjoying this I ran out of the room and I remember running out and there was a guy sitting outside going over his lines and I ran out and was like still talking and then ran back in he was probably looking at me going what do you have to do to get this job <laughs> um, and then they went right let's do the Colin Farrell one and I kept, I did this mad stupidly ridiculous impression of Colin Farrell which was sh- shit but it was shit, so it was funny to them. And then they just kind of went, you know what, that is exactly what we need, just something that's a bit mad and different, and you were just taking a few risks. So they were like, that was fantastic, we'll definitely be in touch. So I went home, and I went, okay, you know, I think I'm going to get this gig. And I remember telling one of my mates, I think I have this gig. And then on the Friday, they when they said they'd call, I never got a call. So I went through the whole weekend of cursing, uh, cursing them, as you do all the yeah. time can't believe they said that to me and they didn't even ring and then uh on monday my agent rang me and she said uh, oh yeah they rang on friday but um we were just going over a few details so i just said i'd ring you over the week after the weekend and i was like <laughs> you know little do they know you spent the whole weekend crying in a bathtub <laughs> no uh, but yeah i it was so it was great so i went and did that and then um, but again like I, you know i felt i did that and uh i was like okay this is going to be a big thing for me and again it just it kind of and it was the same with Second Age. I was getting this really good work, but I, I kind of kept thinking, you know, and maybe it's good to have those aspirations to move on up, but I was looking at parts going, I want to do that part next year. Yeah. And, you know, Alan was so good to me to give me those parts. Um, but I was looking, I, I kept I kept kind of going, I want to move up this way. And I had in my head the progression I wanted to take. And I suppose a few years later, even though I had obviously progressed leaps and bounds, I don't think I'd got to where I wanted to get to. What was in my head of it, the, the more companies that were going to see me and the more people that were going to see me and the, the bigger parts I was going to keep playing. And next thing you know, I'd be, you know, I'd be one of those guys yeah. like you or like Rory, you know, or the people that I was looking at the time going, I want to go, I want to take that progression. And even though I was working and I would never degrade that work because it was amazing. It was the best thing ever. And it was such an amazing start for me and a, and an amazing company I loved working for Second Age they yeah. did so they did so much for me they st- and they still you know get me invites to their shows and I you know and I'd love to work with them again someday and it's brilliant but I felt I was like I really, I, and then I had a couple of years of that and then I was like uh, you know am I not getting parts now what's happening should I should I go back to should I go back to drama school uh, or a bag I wasn't there in the first, should I go to a drama school because if I go through that for a few years and then come out will I get more work then which was a real conundrum because I felt well I don't think I'm gonna do that because I'm just taking myself out of work for two years and I and I'd come back to presumably you know I'd be all starting all over again so Apart from your wonderful time on screen as Colin Farrell, there was also a good bit of other screen work at that time, including most notably probably the Stardust movie. Yeah. What was that like as a process? I mean, it must have been such a delicate thing to be trying to deal with at the time because, you know, emotions around the whole Stardust fire are still so raw with so many unresolved questions and also because you're from that neck of the woods, really. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. I'm from, like, just off Collins Avenue in, in uh, Donny Carney and... Um, I grew up with the story of the Stardust. Um, my mom and dad had been there. Everybody has a story about the Stardust from near where I come from, and they were always supposed to go that night, or I was there the week before, or whatever. And um, I always knew about it, and it was always a, a massive tragedy. And and um, 
something that we, you know people would talk about around where I was from. And I got a call, excuse me, from my agent, and um, they said they were looking for somebody, whatever the description was, and also somebody who could dance a bit. Um, and I was going, yeah, finally, the role has come along, <laughs> uh, you know, where I can do both or whatever, you know. Um, so I went for the audition, and it was with Maureen Hughes, and. I mean, this is another tape I don't want ever anybody to see. I read the scenes, everything was going fine. And then, and then at the very end, she goes, oh, I believe you do a little bit of dancing. And I went, oh, yeah, you know, I dance. I've danced for, for a while. And would you mind if you give us a bit of dancing? And I went, yeah, I mean, sure. You know, like as you do, you'd say yes to anything pretty much. Oh, of course. Yeah, what, you know, what do you want? And uh, I said, have you got some music, you know? And she went, uh, no, no, we've no music. Um and like I mean we didn't even have any iPhones then, so no one was going to put on like stick on YouTube and throw a track on so I went oh okay so I'll you know I'll just dance around then and it was this like small conference room in the Exchequer Hotel so the guy who was filming it took the like the, the camcorder off the stand and like it was like a handheld it was like some kind of crazy uh, I, I don't know it was like a bad dodgy. music video yeah. from 1984 and he was following me around with it so I, I don't know I started looking into the camera like and like pointing at it and doing these kind of crazy 70s disco moves so I thought like disco dancing was like that's what it was supposed to be so I left there you know in a a shade of embarrassment and going I think I I'm gonna die yeah I, 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 I can't believe she made me do that um, and then I didn't hear anything for a while and uh, I got a call about a recall and, she, and my agent was like you know they really like you and stuff so oh, the recall was like a lot more serious the stuff I was reading and um, it was a really serious scene and a really emotional scene and I met the director um, Kieran Donnelly and um, and a few of the producers and stuff were there and I did that and I felt it went very well and again I left and I didn't have to dance that time, which is fine. Uh, and I left and didn't hear anything for a long time. I think right. probably about three weeks. Um, and I thought I was convinced it was gone because I knew a couple of people um, who were in it. And uh, I went, no, it's gone. It's got to be gone. And then out of nowhere, I got a phone call saying they want you for Stardust. And, you know, it's a good, whatever, three weeks uh, Seth uh, filming. And, uh you know, they're, they're really happy to have you on board. And I mean, I don't know what happened there. I don't know why it took so long. I mean, these things take time, I suppose. But um, I was so happy to do that. And then when I got involved in it, 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 it the whole kind of thing came to light more. I started, I read the book that which the film was based on. Um, uh, and I got so much more into it. And, you, you know, you start to relate to these people. And funnily enough, the guy I was playing, his name was Errol Buckley. He's from Dunny Kearney. He was from he was from Dunny Kearney. His family were from Dunny Kearney, and he lost his brother in the fire. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking like this guy is from the same area I'm from, and you know he won the KTEL disco dance competition that night, and that was wow. the guy I was playing. So and it was great because I got to have this part, which was a lovely part, and then I got to do this dance thing in it as well, which is cool. And people were like, "Oh God, I didn't know, I didn't know he could dance," and I was like, "Oh yeah." So that's kind of good for me because I'd rather now go you know as being seen as an actor which is why i am now uh, an actor finally. who can dance yeah. rather than a dancer yeah, who can act. exactly you know and and i'd rather almost people didn't know um so that if they go oh can you know oh that's brilliant and then we can use that so uh, as opposed to looking at me as you just do that um and you did you don't do anything else but so i it was a good like chunk of filming on that yeah. it was fantastic to be a part of it brought the whole situation back to light i know it wasn't everybody's cup of tea um, I know there probably were some people who were opposed to it. I think it was a good thing to get it out there. I think RTE made a brave decision to make it. It, it highlighted 
the issue we see it all the time being brought back up again strangely enough I think we're on the anniversary oh, exactly. of it yeah it was Valentine's wasn't it was it? yesterday yeah which is insane or two days ago the 13th because it was on Friday the 13th yeah. which is the Valentine's night dance or something so um, you know it's just something like that 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 uh, should be spoken about and, and things should be done so and I think for anyone who's seen it who's seen the finished product it was an amazing uh, it, it was amazing I, I thought it was fantastic it, I watched it a couple of times I don't think I could watch it again it's very sad but um, I was delighted to be a part of something um, like that yeah I was privileged to be involved so with your kind of physical background the background of kind of physical theatre was it was kind of inevitable that physical theatre was going to come knocking on the door for mm-hmm. you so what was it like working on? We spoke briefly with Paul Reed about it. The, the magical show of Macbeths, which was which was such an amazing show to see, and some of the physicality in that was just exquisite. And I've recollections you doing amazing things. Had you a sequence with a football like that clip on YouTube yeah. when they're playing the big table tennis? Yeah, I think they'd gotten it. Something had come. Fr- uh, they. I don't know whether where the idea came from, but when I came in. Um, to uh, I think it was in the audition with, with David Bulger who directed it and we did some of the movement stuff with this really long really long kind of pole with this football on the end and um, they had explained what the idea was like and uh, I was like oh this seems kind of cool and I looked at the video I think on YouTube and that was really crazy last minute casting um, a friend of mine who had worked with he's a director and a choreographer Darren Crosby he had said that um, that they were looking for people or they're looking for a, a one last guy um, I was like oh god I, you know and again I was like why haven't I been seen for this but whatever you know if they're willing to see me now fantastic and I go in and get it then all, so I went uh, to audition on a Friday evening and then I was going to see a play in the Abbey that night and I got the phone call when I got to the Abbey after I left the room so it might be of a history of booking gigs you really quickly <laughs> But uh, yeah, I got down to the to the theater, and uh, it was you know I was about to turn my phone off, and I had a voicemail saying, "Oh, we're going to offer you a part in the show, and we start rehearsals on Monday, so see you then, and we'll we'll organize the details with your agent tomorrow, whatever." So hang on, sorry, this is Friday evening, Friday evening, and you start yeah, on Monday morning. That's so quick. It, they were I don't know, they just needed one one last oh, guy. So Jesus. Um, and in the audition, I sang and I and I read, and then I did a little bit of movement and dance, and I think David picked up on the fact that I could dance as well yeah. and stuff. So, um, and it was an amazing, uh, like it was a great show it's sad that it didn't get to like get the run I think it, that it deserved yeah. um, it should have you know it would have been great to come back again uh, it's so much potential and I, not that we didn't do it just I think we did it, I think we all because it was a real collaborative effort and um, Gary and Malky the guys who wrote it I think it was a fantastic production and Paul who was obviously fantastic in it but um, yeah it's a shame I mean we, we did it that, that we were here in the Olympia and then we went to Cork and uh, we, we wanted to everybody I think wanted it back again and whatever happened you know these things just sometimes don't work out so well because I think the vibe with it was with obviously a similar show in Aikino you felt well that was a great show but it would have been limited in that it could play Glasgow and Mm. Manchester at a push London and you know and around here whereas with because of it was the Beckhams you could play London you could go to LA with it you could take it you know because they're global superstars you could take it around and I think I think this, the buzz at the time was that it might have gone on to do that, and and for whatever reason, I know, yeah, and it's a shame, you know, because it was a great show. But then again, it was it, w- it was a good show that I was a part of. I was I got a lot more experience. I worked with people I hadn't worked with, yeah. um, and I got to work with a lot of actors who I realised were also amazing singers, um, and some who could really move really well. And I was going, oh, you know, God, I didn't realise these people could 
sing so well and could do all these other things you know um and and likewise they were going oh god you know you can dance you're a dancer and stuff that's brilliant and um and yeah we did all this me and paul spent we and we'd come in every morning and uh, i'd usually come in early with him to do work on this football thing because we had all this stuff together all the time i was in this kind of these blacks um and i'd run off for i almost had about 15 changes in that show most of them quick changes i'd run off i'd come back on i'd have this kind of stick thing that he'd kind of summon up this magic football um and i mean i don't know what it looked like from the front but it looked awesome it looked like, yeah. um and that but that was also part of the fact that you know me and paul worked well together and we got on and we were two lads that were uh, you know really into football and also really into the craft and it's a good thing uh, you know it's great about Paul like, you know he's a normal guy who takes everything very seriously about what he does but at the same time you can leave it behind you know and I look at I look at what I do like that and you know I've had plenty of times I've been very very frustrated about what I do but I love it and I take it very seriously um, you know but there is there are more important things in the world you know Um your health and your family um and you know and sometimes things happen and you realize that more more you know but uh it was great and i had a great laugh working with paul and a lot of the lads that were involved in the show and uh yeah we went on tour as well and went a bit mad you gotta go mad the odd time um i want to bring this up because i went to see you in the gaiety panto recently and was thoroughly blown away by it like i don't I, can't, I think it's, it might be 20 years since I was last at a panto. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, when I was about four or five, my dad, at the height of his Anything Goes fame, playing Dick Whittington in Dick Whittington, which yeah. was the panto that year, with Derek Chapman as kind of the rat king or whatever. Oh, else. Yeah, yeah. And I remember the experience of it being really quite magical and kind of being around that whole thing. But, it, you know, it, it had been certainly 20 years since I'd last been at a panto. <clears throat> I was blown away by just how much fun it was. Now, I know, I mean, we've spoken a bit about how grueling the work schedule is for you, but... It must be an amazing type of... Because it's a very specific type of theatre yeah. that doesn't exist around the world. I mean, it's kind of specific to this part of the world. Yeah. But it must be amazing to do. Yeah, and it's also specific to Ireland as well because an Irish panto will be very different to a UK panto or even a panto up the north, like I'd say, and even a Cork panto. Yeah. So a Dublin panto is going to be different. But the gaiety has got the longest running tradition, I think, of panto in this country. Um, I don't know if that's a fact, but I think it is. Um, <laughs> it's at least it's on the posters. Yeah, from the likes of uh, of Maureen Potter and and, and um, these great performers from, from back in the day. And it's a massive discipline to do to do panto and um an amazing craft i think to just be involved in that show and be able to you know you need to be a brilliant actor i think to play it well um and you also need to be able to do loads of other things and sing and dance and do these things but um people don't take it seriously i think who haven't done it and um and there's a lot of actors um you know, really well-known actors, I think, that have gone in and done it. And um, I don't know, maybe this, they've come out the other side and said the schedule was too hard or the money wasn't enough for what, or whatever. But there's no way they, they, you know, they will look at Panto in a different light and they'll realize how hard people have to work um, to get an audience on your side like that. Because with other th- shows and with plays and with more serious stuff and, um, you know, classic uh, stuff and Shakespeare, you know, there you're gonna you're gonna get your audience in a different way yeah. but with panto you're more obviously getting them you're actually looking them in the eyes most of the time and you know everybody has a job everybody has a part to play the baddie you know whether it's a dame principal boy everybody has their the, the comedy actor or the duo or whoever is the dancers and singers everybody like every the kids 
everybody has their own uh, kind of part to play and you need the audience on your side or against you as it is with the baddie sure. um, and it, it's it, it's an amazing thing to be a part of I'm so proud that I worked there and I did so many pantos in there because um, I remember going to see it when I was a kid and I never got it when I was a kid yeah. which I still slag at Darren who's our director over never picking me when I was a kid he'd come down to Billy Barry's put us all in the line and he'd go Keith yeah stand up no actually can you stand back in the line and that was the closest I got to almost getting the pants with that year and that went on for about five years in a row but uh, getting to do it like you know as an adult and stuff and then going back to do it only recently um, and I, I was this time I was playing a pirate and I was understudying Darren was playing the lead baddie and I was understudying him and covering his part so I got to get on uh, go on for him a good few times so you know got to play one of the leads the baddie in, in the in the Gage Panther which is a big thing for me because when I was a kid and I used to look at it and you know that's I want to be on that stage you know in the panto um but it's that thing because I mean, people might think that stylistically it's a little more broad than when you're playing Brian Freel or Ibsen or whatever but fundamentally you're still at the same thing and, and it's it's gauging an audience's response and taking them on that journey with you uh, and obviously with me because I always liken everything back to pro wrestling I thought there was a huge amount of it about pro wrestling that, that it's the good guy versus the bad guy yeah, and exactly, you're working yeah. with the audience but it's it's you know, for obvious reasons, it's one of the most involved I've felt in a theatre in recent times. Because oftentimes, you know, you might go and watching something very worthy, but you're sitting back in your seat, you're letting this thing wash over you, and maybe it's interesting, maybe it's not all that interesting. Yeah. Whereas this, this was proper, engaging theatre yeah. where you cared about what happened on stage. Yeah. And you know what, if it's a little broad, well, you know what, so's French farce. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. I thought it was brilliant. It made me really, really yeah. want to do a panto. I mean, I don't, I don't think you have to work too hard to enjoy a panto, but you have to let yourself enjoy it, you know? and if you've got you know kids or um, if you've got like any young people in your family or nieces or nephews or anything to bring them along and sit there and and, and watch them watch the delight that they're feeling going through it it's incredible and you know there's there's the the, the big kids like you know like like you probably were when you went and I remember because we went through the audience and I could see your face and you were just this big smile on your face throughout the whole thing yeah. just loving every minute of it but you, like that you don't have to work too hard to enjoy a panto we have to want to enjoy it but it's hard to go to it and not enjoy it yeah. because there's so much going on and singing and dancing and every, there's there's so much audience participation and not in the bad you know they're not going to rip you up on stage and make a show out of you you know but it's fun and you know people want to be entertained and they don't want i for one don't want to sit in a theater for two and a half hours trying to figure out what's happening and be confused myself and then think if i didn't get it that i'm not smart enough to not to, i didn't get what was going on um you know if i didn't like something if i don't like something i don't like it um it doesn't necessarily make it bad theater but it's not for me you know yeah. but with panto i think a lot more people should really give it a chance and um but it's funny a lot of guys i talked to that i work with were like god i'd love to do a panto you know that'd be brilliant crack you know so there might be a lot more people queuing up next year auditioning <laughs> right we've got to talk about the big one uh, you're already in rehearsals for this. This is, it's, there's such a crazy buzz around town about this already, and talk that it's in, you know, that the advanced sales are ridiculous and through the roof, and that we're in danger of selling out already before it's even kicked off. Alice wow. in Funderland at the Abbey. Yes. Philly McMahon. This is going to be spectacular. What's it like being in the room so far? Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, it's without sounding. Uh, you know it's a it's a dream come true for me to work in the abbey it's fantastic and i cannot wait to get on the stage and get out there and do it um i'd auditioned the abbey a few times before um i don't know how close i came to actually getting cast but uh 
every once in a while they changed the casting director who I felt didn't know me then so I had to try and get her to or whoever it was to, to, to know me or come see me and if I wasn't doing a show it was almost impossible but I did ring the casting director before in the Abbey a few years ago and actually asked to meet for coffee and have a chat and when I met them um, it was Holly at the time and, and she was saying yeah you know we've seen your work and we, we you know we know who you are and we'll bring you in if something's right and I found that to be I was like, oh, wow, you know, that's amazing. You know, you think I people, exist, I'm on their yeah, radar. Yeah, you think people don't know who you are, you know? Um, and uh, I think I originally auditioned when I was in rehearsals for Panto in November or Dece- early December. Um, waited a couple of weeks, got a recall audition, went back in, read again, um, I read and sang. I really got a great opportunity in the room. Uh, Wayne Jordan, who's our brilliant director, um, gave me the opportunity, which I said, like, to really... Um, kind of just do what you wanted with the text and um, a good long kind of 25 minute half an hour in the room with everybody in there um, and getting a chance to really get into it and enjoy it because there's nothing worse than going in and then next thing you know you're outside and you've, you're like I, I only got to do it once and I didn't really don't think it went that well And um, but I kind of obsessed over it a little bit after the second audition um, I was still in Panto um, I had that to think about obviously and getting to the end of that run and I was talking to Paul read quite a lot about it and and, uh, because he's in the show as well and I was saying I haven't heard anything yet and I was like hopefully you know um, I'll get a call and I was just got I know I I think I'd heard a few people had been casting it and I was going oh maybe it's gone and without wanting to obsess over it too much but you know I really wanted to work in there I think and I think Aidan said it on your podcast as well every actor should aspire to work in a theatre it's a national theatre of Ireland and I'm proud to to be a part of that tradition um and i used to, you know i used to say i'd do i'll go on i'll stand at the back and i'll do any just to get involved and move my way up in there and be involved in something like the abbey uh so i got the call and my agent said yeah that they um that they want you and i knew i actually hung up the phone and i dropped the phone and i was just ridiculous but i dropped the phone i was in my dressing room in the gate and i was like Ugh! and uh, i rang my mom and there was more tears and uh and she cried a little bit as well and uh <laughs> but yeah it was great and then i went out and did the best performance of panto i've ever done in my life because uh, it just felt so good um and i, I when i finished I had a couple of weeks off before we started and i've been listening to some of the music and reading the script and stuff and we, we're about three days in now and i'm like i'm loving it i can't like can't get over the talent in the room it's it's insane um they've put together like an amazing cast um, from the whole team, which is Philly, obviously, McMahon who wrote it, and then Raymond Scannell, who did the music, um, and Wayne, our director, and the fantastic cast, uh, and people that I've worked with before, um, and people that I, I haven't worked with, but like always wanted to work with. Um, but yeah, just, just like really talented people, and again, amazing singers, and people that dance, and you know, just so... Uh, so much there's so much talent in the room and i'm i feel happy to be and privileged to be a part of that and um to be amongst the, uh, these people and to say that these are my contemporaries and these are the people i'm working with now and you know and do you think audiences are going to be surprised to see so many different facets of different people's games from from this show like do you people going to be going, jesus i never knew he could sing like that or i never knew she could move like that yeah i i imagine so i mean i'd say uh, some people who know them well enough maybe know they can do all these things i don't, I don't know but uh there's certainly, I mean, even people that I'd worked with before, um, and I'd been like, oh yeah, they're they're really good, and then hearing them sing again and stuff, and being like, oh my god, like they're incredible, like, um, and it's from from everybody, everybody in the show, from Philip Connaughton, who's a dance captain, 
and an ensemble, Sarah Green, amazing. Uh, Ian Lloyd Anderson, Susanna DeRixon, Tony Flynn, Kathy Rose O'Brien, Marco Regan, Ruth McGill, Paul Reed, uh, Eileen Methan, Emma Kirwin, Robert Bannon, Avian McGinnity, and Lisa Byrne. Did you have a bet you had to get all their names? And I the wasn't podcast? reading that out. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, no, because like, I'm proud to be a part of the show and with every one of them, and we're all together going to hopefully make it a fantastic show for people to come see. And I think, yeah, I think people are going to be surprised by the show itself. I know people probably saw what um, they did before in the project, but it's going to be taken from... I mean, it's now it's on the national stage. It's going to be on a whole new level from everything we've been seeing with the the, the set design, with the, the lighting design, um, the work we're doing on the music, how much more they're taking it. I mean, one of the guys was saying to me today that I was like, what's it like from doing it in the project and now coming to now? And they're like, it's a whole, this is a different level. Yeah. You know, the and they spent a lot of time obviously working on it before to get and that's the reason why you know and the people that have been involved been involved since day one you know and and Wayne and everybody and, and the guys who wrote it and put it together they're obviously the reason why it's gotten to this stage and they've probably come up with half of the stuff that's in there and it's all being created uh, from all their hard work and now it's on this scale where everybody gets to see it and for someone like me and there's a couple of us who haven't been involved in it before so we're coming in as the, the new guys but um, you know, Wayne was saying he wanted people who could fit well into the show, into what they see um, the show looking like. And yeah. Uh, yeah, like it's a bit mad. The first day I remember I was walking in and I, you know, you walk by the stairs already Abbey all the time. And for a lot of people, you don't think about it. But if you never worked there, I do look there and I go, you know, I want to walk up there one day and go into a rehearsal room. I'd be like, yeah, I'm in a show here, you know? So um, it was great to do that, yeah. Very, very happy. I'm delighted for you, man. I think it's going to be a super show. I think people need to go and buy tickets now because I think there's a danger this bad boy is going to sell out pretty quickly. Buy tickets, get get on it and spread the word and come see us and I think you won't be disappointed. So if people want to stay in touch with you and what you're up to or offer your work, where is the best place (laughs) to get to you? Facebook, Twitter, you're on Twitter. Yeah, um, my Twitter name is kflow 83 that's flow with a W. F L O W K F L O W eighty three. Um, and I'll find you on. It's my rap name. Uh, and uh, I didn't get me on Facebook, which is yeah, Keith Hanna, H A N N A. No H at the end. That's the girl's name. And uh, yeah. And give uh, your agent a shout as well. Yeah, Lorraine Brennan, LBM. Uh, yeah, God, this is ridiculous. I'm just actually plugging myself for a gig. What's you supposed to do, man? But uh, yeah, I mean, I. I there's a lot of people there's a lot of companies I want to work with and there's a lot of fantastically talented people out there that I want to work with and um, somebody actually who I did forget to mention and another person who's been really good to me and um, is uh, uh, and the work that they do and she does is amazing is I think it's Annie Ryan with Corn Exchange and I've done a lot of the workshops w- with them and Paul had said to me um, come on do do a fucking workshop oh I hit the F-bomb yeah. oh hey good work yeah. I knew we wouldn't get to the end of that one I, know, I, I didn't know if I'd get as many as Paul got in but uh, yeah so um, I went and did one of the workshops and did I think I've done about three or four now and uh, Annie is just amazing to work with and I'd really I'd, I'd recommend anybody who hasn't done them to go do them and to see the way a company like that work um, is fantastic and another company I'm privileged to, to be involved with at, at, on any scale um, and it's just great to, to be to be around those type of people because they bring out the best in you I think um, and when you're around people that bring out the best in you you're only gonna you're only gonna get the best all the time 
It's awesome. Keith, I'm really excited about people getting to see you in uh, in the Abbey because I think I think you've put the work in. I think you deserve to be there. And I think this is going to so be the much. perfect showcase for you. I think it's going to be the perfect shop window for you. And I really think only great things are going to happen from here on out. Um, I love you, man. It's a beautiful thing. I love you too. <laughs> I was tempted to try and write some kind of a freestyle rap to finish off with, but I would just sound ridiculous. I mean, you can throw some freestyle down if you want. I can beatbox for you or De- whatever, you know. Definitely not going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to leave that to you. Keith, thanks a million. Thanks very much. Cheers. <laughs> So there you have it, the brilliant Keith Hanna, such a lovely guy. Uh, I hope that little short interview there gives you a bit of an insight into who he is, what he's about, what he's out there trying to do. I mean, I think he's a really great guy, super talented performer, and he's a guy who's just plugging away, carving out a nice little career for himself, working on great quality shows. And uh, I think the excitement around town about this Alice in Wonderland show is uh, is kind of palpable at the moment. I think it's going to be something really special. They certainly have all the ingredients there for it to really sing, if you'll forgive the terrible pun. Um, I think it's going to be a spectacular show, and I think Keith is going to really shine there. I think it's going to be a wonderful shop window for him, for a guy who's, like I said, been plugging away for a while, and I think finally this might be a really nice opportunity for him to get out there and show what he can do. Like I said, I think you're really going to be hearing an awful lot more about that guy over the next little while, and no one deserves it more than he does so that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of what is going on around town obviously the 24-hour play project which i shall be part of is happening this sunday evening i am absolutely terrified but i think it might be awesome um, at the moment it is officially sold out however as far as i know there are some extra special golden tickets still going for the last few seats and it's a special deal that includes a bottle of champagne on arrival and all that kind of stuff but you do have to dig a little deeper uh, to bankroll those kind of tickets but that's worth phoning the the project box office to see if that offer is still going. The Goddess of Liberty by Karen Ardiff uh, for Gunanua is continuing a project and will subsequently going off on a little tour. I know it's out in Tala at some point. So keep an eye out for that around town or get into project to catch it while it's still there. Um, at the Viking Theatre at the Sheds out in Clontarf, The Watchman by Sean Lawler is still playing there. Da is ongoing at the gate with the brilliant Owen Rowe and Tyg Murphy and a million different superstar actors. The exceptionally brilliant I Heart Alice Heart Eye is running for the next couple of days in the Peacock just before it transfers over to New York. I saw this the other night. Guys, it's an exceptional piece of theatre. If you have to sell your granny to get in, do it. This is a show you need to see. It's, it just blew me away. Wonderful, wonderful performances, wonderful writing, a wonderful night at the theatre. Uh, I don't usually bang on too hard about any particular show as I'm doing this run, rundown of what's going on. But if you have to go and catch anything in the next couple of days, make it that show in the Peacock. It's, it's well worth the trip. Also upstairs at the Abbey at the moment is Bookworms, the Bernard Farrell play with Marion O'Dwyer and Phelan Drew and all kinds of wonderful superstars up there too. Uh, Love All is playing at Bewley's Cafe Theatre in their lunchtime slot. The Master Builder from Sheer Tantrum Theatre Company is still ongoing at the New Theatre in Temple Bar. The Collaborations Festival at Smock Alley is still going on. Uh, There's only a couple of days left on that as far as I know and still a huge variety of shows to go and see. Short little snippets and more full-length shows, pieces that are in development. A whole load of things there that uh, that might take your take your fancy. There's one that particularly stood out to me, uh, which is Every Doris Has His Day, which is a one-man show that Ian Lloyd Anderson, who's a super actor, is doing and that's 
that's written by Jerry McCann. That's going to be, uh, I think, one of the highlights of that little festival there. If you get a chance to pop along and see that, I would highly recommend it. Uh, Rough Magic are still on the road with Plaza Suite, and also on the road at the moment is the lovely Sonia Kelly, who I worked with on The Nose for Performance Corporation. Uh, her Show in a Bag show, um, she was the year after we made Fight Night with Show in a Bag. Sonia made The Wheelchair on My Face with Show in a Bag, and that is currently on a national tour at the moment, so do keep an eye out for that. I know we've been a little criticised in recent weeks for being maybe a little too Dublin-centred uh, over the last while, and you know maybe it's an occupational hazard with the nature of Irish theatre, but it's something we are very aware of, something we are trying to do our best to improve. So uh, keep an eye out for those shows. They're on the road at the moment, bringing top-quality work around the country, so uh, keep an eye out for them. And so that is episode 15 in the books. We will be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. This has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Ogue McAnally, I'm Angus Ogue McAnally. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>